0: Hello, Prestige Heads, and welcome to American Prestige. I'm Danny Bessner, here as always with my friend and comrade, Derek Davison. And I'm really excited about today's podcast for a couple of reasons. One, it's a theme that we've addressed a little bit on the show in the past, but I think we could do a lot more with, and that is, of course, video games and their relationship to how Americans think about themselves, American foreign policy, etc. But even more important, I have invited and they have accepted two of the best video game podcasters in the game. That is Michael Swaim and Adam Ganzer. Michael and Adam are hosts of One Upsmanship, which for my mind is the best video game podcast today. And there are also, uh, I don't know, owners, co-creators, whatever it is, of a really awesome podcast network called Small Beans, which I encourage you all to check out and subscribe to. It has a bunch of different episodes on movies, on mental health. It's, it's really interesting and eclectic. So guys, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Hey, Our love to be here.
1: pleasure. Yeah. Thank you yeah, so much. Thanks for
0: inviting us. Uh, So one of the things that I want to start with is like, I feel like we're all around the uh, same age, sort of elder, millennial, early millennial. We're really the first generation where video games began to become an art form in their own right equivalent to my mind to music film and television but i I want you guys to talk a little bit about the role that video games play why they are worthy of serious investigation why it's really a major not only american but international art form that critics will be examining and engaging with really for decades or at least decade or two until the climate catastrophe kills us all
2: (laughs) Yeah. You want to take that one, Mike? Or you want me to? Yeah. Start? So
1: I actually find that a really interesting question because video games as a medium are the newer medium. And by that, I mean, all media tries to encompass the previous media that came before it. Right. So film encompasses music. Film has music in it. Film encompasses photography. It has still imagery in it. Video games encompass film. And so to me, it that, that alone makes it an important medium to discuss. Um, and beyond that, the thing that's unique about a video game, of course, is the interactivity or ludonarrative, the idea that the story is dispensed through your interactions. And that makes it truly international. There are games like take Mario Brothers, you know, classic UR game. Anyone can play that. There's almost no dialogue. You don't need to understand a particular cultural trope or a particular language to enjoy it. You're just bouncing around and it's clear what your goal is. You want to go to the right and collect coins. That's all you need to know to get Mario Party. But I guess the cultural touchstone is, dola- is coins equals money, but that's pretty easy to <laughs> Um, So in, that's how I think of it in, from sort of the philosophical sense. And then in the real world sense, games have just become a powerhouse of yeah. financial solvency. It's a billion yeah. dollar industry. Outstrips film, which I think a lot of people are surprised to learn. And yeah, ship all over the world. And now is influencing film. I mean, we've got The Last of Us TV show. Uh, based on a game that is honestly very cinematic. So I feel like we have the media now talking to itself, a movie inspired, a game inspired a movie, or a show rather.
2: There's going to be so many more film adaptations of video games in the coming year That is just getting
1: started. Yeah, Yeah. I'm
0: talking to executives for this piece I'm writing on Harper's, everyone. Get ready for it on writing in Hollywood. And basically now that all the IP from Marvel and the superheroes has been bled dry, that's the new... They're all talking about video game adaptations. It's it's wild. That is going to be the new thing. Yeah, it also has this story right there. Sorry to interrupt, Michael. No, not at
2: all. I was was also going to add, Mike, if you don't mind. The other thing that people kind of maybe don't realize this video games is still the cheapest form of entertainment for a lot of people right meaning like for the amount of hours i get for a video game i get way more entertainment out of a video game than any other like sports than television than movies right like video games is accessible entertainment for a at least a lot of uh western people i suppose i should say right and i think that's made it popular and then the real thing that's of, of incredible
0: interest to me is unlike television and movie, which are not totally one-directed, unit-directed media, is that like obviously the audience shapes, you know, how audiences react, etc. But it's much more the interaction must have a really significant role in shaping the ideology that comes out of video games. I mean, one of the, one of my like great video game experiences, whenever, was I think it was the first Medal of Honor came out in 1998, 1999, whatever it was, yep. and you're just playing Saving Private Ryan. You right. know, that entire first scene is, you're, you're like doing Saving Private Ryan, and I'm like 13 or 14, uh, you know, that movie like really pumped me up and made me feel really good about America doing good in the world, and then you basically get to kill Nazis on your video game screen by playing this awesome movie screen. And it just reinforced to me at almost even a subconscious or unconscious level, the importance of the United States doing good in the world, right? Like war is hell, but the United States needs to do this, otherwise horrible things happen. Therefore, three years later, the war on terror gets going and we need to go around the world and defend things. It's always very interesting to me that Medal of Honor, Call of Duty, the initial ones, World War II video games immediately follow Saving Private Ryan and lead into Band of Brothers, which I think actually debuted a week before 9-11. So you have this whole like greatest generation cultural sphere coming of age when, you know, I think we're all like, you know, young, red blooded American boys uh, leading right into this global conflagration, which, you know, the, the connections there are, I think, are profound to draw and shape things in an often not direct way, but in an indirect way at the very least absolutely yeah
1: and what's really interesting about call of duty specifically i think is some of those like the very first call of duty one two and three were much more uh angled at a history lesson if you will or living history every time you died there would be a notable quote from the era about the conflict and i think they stuck much more they were trying to be almost a history channel special come to life whereas as the game has progressed people who aren't familiar with the franchise will see it's become something very very different it's become an action
2: movie on steroids right there's a there's a key moment in call of duty where they started to be more interested in the hero's journey than they were interested in the actual global conflict and that's when you start to have to have a team of specialists and play like protagonists who have like narrative going on in the war the war isn't enough like those first three call of duty games you're an you know anonymous you're playing soldier. you're fairly anonymous exactly and there's been returns to that like games like Battlefield 1 uh, was an attempt to go back and do World War 1 and just you play a person in this conflict and there's no through line other than here are the conflicts um but in general i think the action moviness of it has it sells games you know what i mean like people get more inter- inter- interested yeah. in that presumably and it's
1: another aspect of game versus film in film we try to do all these techniques like Short framing someone so you know they're having a deep Mm. thought and anything to make it be like, it's like you're them. It's like you're there. That's always the goal of storytelling, right? Even back to literature, in many cases, is to get you to empathize, sympathize, or even see the world through another person's eyes. Video games give you that as fully as it can be given. You are the person making the choices for them and interacting with the world. So I think it has a profound psychological effect in a way that, Films and literature also have, but it's almost a little more, I know where this conversation's headed, so I'll say a little more insidious, or it can be insidious in (laughs) the sense that you find yourself doing an action a thousand times, let's say murdering someone, and you wonder how that is affecting your views on murder or political murder or war.
0: Has there been any, not to be too academic about it, but study or or even just an article about the politics of video games? Because this is probably the most bipartisan art form in the United States today. Like you could imagine who's seeing the new Ava DuVernay movie. You could imagine who's Mm -hmm. not seeing the new Ava DuVernay movie. You could imagine who's seeing, you know, the Kevin Sorbo oeuvre. And you could imagine who's not seeing. But Everyone who's seeing those movies very well, or at least their teenage boys, or I guess now into millennials, their 50-year-old sons, um, are playing Call of Duty. So do you guys have any thoughts about the politics implicit in something like a first-person shooter? There's obviously this desensitization going on, but I'd love to hear more.
2: Yeah, well, so I I find first of all there are a lot of articles out there from what I've heard. Also, I've streamed Call of Duty a few times on Twitch and had people show up who were very angry at it philosophically and politically, and like link stuff about like here's some things you should know about the the damage we're doing to our views of people in the Middle East, for instance, just by playing the campaign stuff. Which I was like, hey, good for you for sharing that. You know, that's uh that's great. Um, in general. There isn't any question, I think, that, uh, like, I I don't necessarily think video game causes violence, but I think it does cause uh, you to sort of shut off the part of your brain that considers the consequences of violence, right? So, like, anytime you're engaged in an activity where, you know, you're shooting over and over, like, blowing up huge pieces of the landscape or whatever in some foreign country, like, let's say a made-up country that seems kind of vaguely Russian... A think you're going to do a lot in Call of Duty. You know, it just sort of reinforces this uh, vague sense that like, uh, you know, that's where the bad guys are. The bad guys look like this. They live in an area like this. They talk like this. And it just sort of seeps in in a way that you don't think about. And there's been studies to that effect. Um, also, just the game will often ask you to care about a character you're playing alongside of. Right. Or a particular member of your team. It's like not that person. That person can't die. Um, And Call of Duty is not the worst offender of this. Like, actually, I would say, weirdly, some of the Rockstar games are some of the bigger offender of this, where, like, I got to murder these 50,000 outlaws, but I got to save John Marston. If I don't save him. None of this means anything. And that cognitive dissonance is strange because the only way it works is for you to stop thinking about the humanity of everybody you're killing and only think of your friend as your human. That's the only person who's an actual person. Um, And that's an interesting side effect. Well, it's interesting
1: because, as we said, there used to be anonymity across the board. You're an anonymous soldier. They're right. anonymous soldiers. Now you're a movie character and they're mm-hmm. anonymous soldiers. Mm-hmm. So it really does mimic something I imagine happens in war, which is in order to do what you need to do, you dehumanize the enemy, but you don't dehumanize yourself or your own guys. Right. They're full people to you. And uh Pushing that into extremitude without sort of analyzing the effect it has, I think is a problem. I agree with Adam that I don't think violent video games cause violence. Um, like I would put, I'd be much more wary to put the, like a school shooting at the feet of video games. Although I see people drawing that connection. Uh, I think violent media in general may have an effect on that level but it's more the idea of dehumanization and simplification and glossing over things for example in all of these games by virtue of the fact that they're games you can soak up bullets right if i got if i died every time i got hit or if i got sepsis and had to get surgery every time i got hit in a call of duty game it would be not fun so there's also (laughs) this idea that war is going to be really fun we're all going to have a blast there and it's going to kick ass and uh, that is a little problematic to me. In fact, we, on our show, we have a thing called the Celestial Hard Drive where we enshrine video games. And I have routinely blocked Call of Duties for this very reason. Yeah, which yeah is, we debate this. Yeah, it's, it's a big debate for us. Is it all right what they're doing? And does that matter vis-a-vis it being a quality video game? Because the thing to know about Call of Duty, if you're not a big gamer, is it's the dominant franchise that there is. It's, yes, it Everyone makes the most plays money. it, and it's the most financially successful game of all time.
2: Also, uh, on the subject of the uh, th- war is going to be fun, I, I don't know if you were involved with this, Mike, but at Cracked, I made a video alongside Robert Evans, uh, like I produced this video, I want to say, where he was showing terrorist recruitment videos that were clearly cinematically derived from Call of Duty, like slowed down rocket launcher shots and stuff. So like this, the idea, this, the insidious idea of war being fun and like a video game is a problem. It's a thing. Because it's an effective recruitment tool and it's been used that way. Um, So I don't want to diminish that
0: yeah it's it's interesting that question of the celestial hard drive i guess it what it's what you intended to be is it to represent the best of the art as you subjectively see it or to represent humanity to aliens because if, if it's to represent humanity it might be all call of duties <laughs> and uh mm. spec ops you we know? didn't
1: say we honestly want to represent humanity <laughs> yeah, yeah. we want to put a good make us look good. For aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah yeah make it could serve as an explanation as to why humanity is no longer around um, one of the, one of the things to me that is particularly interesting about Call of Duty, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it, is how, to me at least, the ideology has changed over time. Because like you said, in sort of like, let's say, boomer-driven Call of Duty, I'm not even sure if that's accurate, but of the late 90s, early 2000s, sort of, Saving Private Ryan, Call of Duty, where um, it's very you know pro-America, unipolar moment. The Cold War has ended and we won and we're the only people who are able to make the world safe. Um, that's a particular ideological message. But um, recent Call of Duties, obviously there's these three series. So I'll just talk about Uh, the second, uh, for a second, the Black Ops series. Because the um, Black Ops series to me is actually quite interesting ideologically. Because basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, you essentially portray a bunch of psychopaths. Like in, in that series, there's like not really a good guy The government's always trying to fuck you over. It's tricking you. It's manipulating you. That's, you know, you couldn't imagine that sort of game in the late 90s Call of Duties where they're doing like Winston Churchill quotes and, you know, Franklin Roosevelt quotes. So there's clearly a shift there which represents, I think, a, a general shift in like young male culture, which is like, you know, the conspiracy Gen X thing is now basically everyone thinks that now everyone under 35 basically thinks the government's lying to you in some way, whether it's QAnon on the right or like, why are you spending so much money on imperialism and not healthcare on the left? Obviously, one of those is real. One of those is isn't, so isn't. So that's a difference. But the compelling thing to me is that the message of all of these black ops games is basically like you can't change to the system. The system is evil. It's going to manipulate you. All you can do is effectively not die and i think that was really expressed in the black ops cold war games where you're like someone who's hyper manipulated but all you can do is like be a good soldier and try to work within the system so that's a gigantic ideological shift from like these these stentorian quotes about honor and glory to you're playing a manipulated brainwashed guy i was wondering if you guys have any thoughts of if that reflects changes in video game culture or changes in how americans view war and things like that
2: I do think that developers feel a bit more free to tell you what they think now than they probably did 20 years ago. Like, actually, the thing that you're outlining in Black Ops is also true of the, mod- the Modern Warfare series that got rebooted, right? Like, one of the main plot points of that series is our weapons are being sold and stolen, question mark, to our enemies and being used to sort of mix up and convolute the messaging, and that might not be an accident. Like, you basically don't know who to trust. And you know, your government isn't really trustworthy. Um, That would never have been in the original modern warfare series, right? Like there was a clear, like in the original modern warfare series, Russia invades America and it's very much like red Dawn, right? Uh, It's very pulpy in some sense. And you know, it's fun in a video game way. This is trying to move into like making a commentary, but it's, you know, convoluted and difficult. Um, And I honestly think you're just seeing more games outlining a kind of nihilistic worldview in general right like uh I, I was talking about red dead 2 um recently pretty the cynical end of, game yeah really i mean beautiful but cynical the the main antagonist outlines his viewpoint it's sort of a cathartic moment i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't played it other than he say he says there's only surviving there's only winning and losing there's nothing else like he literally says that as you're Trying to beat him to death. And that's capitalism,
0: right? I mean, right. this is the, like, this is the thing. I'd love to get just to pause on it for a second because they almost games that I've played and I play a fair bit, they don't really address capitalism head on except in Bioshock, like where they're like libertarian nuts and they created this like horrible society that's like capitalist and underwater. So some games do, of course. But, but that to me is just like saying capitalism is all we got, right? Like, um, if you think about a lot of, climate fiction from whatever, you know, psychological perspective, and Tyler Austin Harper um, has talked about this on the podcast Time to Say Goodbye, it's very small-c conservative in its vision, which is that things end and then people turn into literal animals, they join packs, and then they murder each other. And this is basically every video game. Um, so I was wondering if, if we could talk about Red Dead or whatever, but it seems like there's a capitalist logic embedded in that the only thing you can do is survive and that's it. you guys have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's also part of it just becoming more filmic. Video games have always felt sort of like the bastard stepchild of film in a lot of ways. Not all games. There are games that are used to be toys more than movies, but certainly when we're talking about narratives and war narratives, uh, it's almost had a Marvel Marvel effect where what matters now is that we bond to these specific characters and that these characters have nuances and that they have flaws that we can dig into. And sometimes I wonder if that's of accord with the... Because the military literally works in tandem with the Call of Duty company now to uh, help construct these games in a way that's going right. to not portray them in a bad light. So I do wonder how they react when they have meetings about like how it's going to be, you know, your agent's going to get burned and have to go rogue because the government screwed them over. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think, hearkening back to the first part of the conversation, what really gets me is... It's just a dehumanization machine. And what better dehumanization machine than a machine that, you know, these are holographic. No, you know, no one's dying. These are not real people. They're puppets. And yet, at the same time, there's the ever ongoing quest to make it so realistic that you can't tell the difference. For example, mm-hmm. a Call of Duty uh, level that really speaks to me to this is the one where you're projected into a helicopter that's bombing people. And it looks like news footage. It's, it's grainy. Yep. Uh, green and white footage like you might have seen the bombing of Baghdad and you're uh, hearing just rate like very uh, calm radio chatter as you take target taken out there's guys on the bridge target taken out and it really really looks more like news footage than like a game and it just makes you wonder especially with the advent of VR now when I don't believe that video games cause violence but at the same time. One day when there's a virtual reality machine where I can just murder someone and it seems absolutely realistic, I have to believe that that does something to me. I don't know what it is, but I have to believe there's an impact there.
0: The way that I think about it is it doesn't cause violence, but it might make violence easier in certain situations Mm. that like, you know, if if you're going to become a drone pilot, it doesn't hurt to have spent, you know, your adolescence playing as a drone pilot, Uh, because is there that much of a difference between sitting in a basement in Boulder and killing people in Afghanistan uh, than there is doing it on... um, uh, on a video game there's a clear moral difference there's a clear effectual difference but it might not feel the process might be very
2: similar so I, it's it's almost a matter of process so to your capitalist question i feel like i mean of course there's an infinite variety of video game stories but they do sort of tend to fall into either the narrative we've been discussing or kind of a like a fantasy uh, traditional medieval hero's journey type of story. There's a lot of those. It's most almost of the final- a
1: power fantasy, though. Yeah, you get bigger and right. bigger
2: and bigger. You level that's up correct. and you level up. Correct. Even like things like Final Fantasy or the m- most recent Zelda game, that's the narrative, right? They do reinforce capitalism in the sense that you always grow, just like you said, right? That's also a capitalist idea, like that you 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 always have to get bigger, better, stronger, fitter, and then eventually you win because you've earned it you know that's a fun that's which a ideal which is very ideal. different from chess right like chess right. the
0: the the queen i mean i guess the pawn can level up to a queen that's actually is that the original level up but for most of the characters they remain the same right it's 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 a, it's it's and it's obviously steeped in feudalism <laughs> you know mm. there are pawns there are lots of them but they're weak and the, and the queen is awesome but that's a really interesting that's that's very interesting Adam that that it's always about growth which is like an inherently capitalist thing you that you you become the most powerful person by becoming level 99 or level star star and then you just destroy everyone which is the
2: moral equivalent of being a billionaire today right every third act of every video game is ultimately fulfilling the power fantasy you got involved invested in in the first place right like that's not necessarily as true of movies where usually the fantasy of it plays out in the second act before and the third act is resolving the narrative. In a video game, the third act where you finally got every single thing and now you're just going to wage a, wa- a swath of destruction, right? Like pretty much every game, even a Mario game, your capability of like stomping on the evil mushroom is much more broad and, and satisfying at that point than at the beginning, right? So, yeah. That's a that's clearly a weird assumption we have as game consumers. Yeah, and
1: vis-a-vis Call of Duty specifically, uh, I think it's dovetailed nicely, not I don't find it nice, but nicely into the war on terror, uh, the George W. Bush war on terror, the OG war on terror. Um, because I mean, look what's happening in Gaza, right? I think we as a Western culture have A lot of us have bought into the war on terror and the idea that if someone's a terrorist it's okay to kill them just like we used to think if someone's a nazi it's okay to kill them uh during the world war ii era some people still think if you're a nazi you should be killed uh and it's anything that dehumanizes the enemy is always something to be wary of because humans are humans no matter what a human is a human you cannot dehumanize someone you cannot reduce them um you can agree so violently that you think you need to fire guns at each other but at the same time everyone is an individual person with a full soul and inner life and i think we lose that so easily as adam said when we start just saying the game seem to say look we're not threatening any particular peoples but these are the kinds of people that you'll be shooting at right you these get are the it. sorts yeah. of people that you know you get it wink wink Right. Um, and I think Call of Duty has really fallen into that trap and become a tool of dehumanizing basically Middle Eastern folks for the most part, and Russians.
2: Yeah. I Also, another interesting facet of video games is the minimizing of suffering. You know, uh, like suffering is a fact for most people uh, and not a part of video game experience often. Mike and I had a long debate about the value of that over a game called Hellblade. Uh, they're making a sequel of it Hellblade is actually an, a, a game that really acutely deals with the suffering of mental health uh you know breakdown, and it's not fun, you know what I mean and like and that's a challenging thing it's like, well, what if the video game's not fun when you 're actually dealing with suffering? You see and like when you port that over to your favorite first person shooter, suffering is reduced even in terms of how do you take damage? I take some damage, I take a pill or like you know just wait a while, and i'm fine again, right and whereas and the suffering that I that I impose on other people is brief and complete, right? Like they like die. I, you, they dead. die and they die in sort of a like they almost like little fireworks. No, yeah. you re- you rarely play a game where the point of it is like, look, I chop that guy's leg off and then I watch him like try to get healthy again or what? Like you just don't, this doesn't happen, right? Or even if um, you
1: get if you get wounded, I don't think I've ever played a game where then you go to the hospital and convalesce and then have them men- no. you know, a mental right. health breakdown and then become an alcoholic and drink yourself to an early grave. The the experience of war we've seen has tremendous long-term consequences on the human life for the people who survive and I think we almost never deal with that.
0: I'm so is there a, there must be an indie game about PTSD? There has to be. 100%. Yeah, Hellblade yeah, yeah. is essentially about PTSD, right? right. Like, it, it, that's the Viking game, right? I gave up yes. uh, a few hours into it because yeah, it was boring. One. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really uh, boring. See, yeah. That's the thing. Yet,
1: it's a wonderful treatise on mental health, but you can't get to the end of it because it's not fun to play.
0: Right. And so this gets into the whole entertainment aspect. And 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 I, I have, uh, sorry, Adam, you uh, you go.
2: But then I oh, have no, a question that's okay. about I alienation. was going to say, I actually think that reducing suffering is another byproduct of capitalism. You see, like capitalism can't survive if you are constantly looking at the outcomes for people who lose at capitalism, right? And like that's just, you know, uh, that's just how. How do you make it so that people still want to win when they don't see that much of what it means to lose? Which most of them will do on some level, right? And I, and video games again, I think subconsciously, I don't think anybody's nefariously like planning this. Uh, minimize consequences for people who lose right your npc that you murder you don't see them again sometimes they just straight up evaporate right right or, lots or of games. games yeah lots of games they just vanish so you don't see a big pile of bodies and like torn limbs and stuff that you created you know what i mean like you don't you don't see that and that's even true of red dead go back to the same spot where you just massacred 500 police officers they'll be gone you know what i mean like uh you can steal their stuff and they'll be gone you'll be fine you know yeah. roll back into town no big deal And they'll reduce that
1: suffering almost systemically. Like one of the ones I had a big problem with was Call of Duty World War II, which was a return to the series roots in the sense that it covered the events of World War II rather than modern wars. And it it's easy to compare to those early Call of Duties that were explicitly about World War II and see how different it really is, because it's a high octane action movie where you're jumping Jeeps over tanks and stuff like that and crashing trains And it never mentions the Holocaust and there's no concentration camp element. Whereas the first game had quotes from Eli. There is though, there is, there is technically, but my point being it's reduced to the margins in a way that I frankly found offensive because I do think if you're about to make a billion dollars off of the idea of world war two and the suffering inherent in world war two, you got to mention the Holocaust, my God, but that. Suffering is too much to bear, or too much for the story to bear in the modern context. So they cut it out, or they minimize it as much as they can.
2: American Prestige
1: is brought to you in partnership with The Nation Magazine. Please consider becoming a subscriber at AmericanPrestigePod dot com forward slash subscribe. As a subscriber, you'll get access to dozens of exclusive bonus episodes, including breaking news specials, deep dives into regional histories, analysis of movies and video games, and much more. And if you subscribe at the founder's level, you'll be able to claim a year digital subscription to The Nation. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show.
0: So I got a question about video games as a capitalist art form, even beyond the content of the game. Um, So, I mean, I think you could see a trend of alienation, of people spending less time in groups, of people, you know, eating worse food smoking more drugs whatever you wanna whatever cool phrase you want to use and and so video games to me are are interesting because on, on one hand you're you know sitting in your house usually alone but on the other hand you might be connected and have this simulacrum of connection with other players so do you think video gaming as you know the major american art form i would imagine i don't know the numbers but especially for young men, probably especially for young men under 40, and especially, especially for young men under 30, contributes to alienation and sort of the rise of these like internet cultures, whether you think about Gamergate, which morphed into Incel, which morphed into Peppy the Frog. Do you have any thoughts about that social function that video games serve? They're certainly
2: concurrent. There's no doubt that those things are concurrent. Um most of my thoughts will be somewhat anecdotal. So I mean you know not having like studied it in any detail. I can tell you that like the internet, gaming online if it's not with somebody you already know is still fundamentally anonymous. And what I mean by that is like I used to play a lot of Destiny 2, right? Uh a game that I still think is very fun. And uh in that game you got to partner up with people and you can either make a f- group of friends or if you're somebody like me who doesn't have time for that, find randos to play with. You know, playing with a rando might mean I'm dealing with a racist twelve year old. You know what I mean, or it might mean I'm dealing with somebody who, uh, if I say the wrong thing, it's now we're arguing about wokeism or whatever. You know what I mean? And like, uh, or vi or whatever, man. You know, like, insert your least favorite conversation. It's possible there, right? It's a land of nightmares. And I say that, like, why is that possible? Because I'm not. I don't know this person even though i'm interacting with them i don't know them really and they know that and i know that so i'm allowed to be terrible if they do the wrong thing in a mission or they're allowed to be terrible right and it's a sad thing about human nature that we do that when we can right and i think um i mean this is you know not the flashiest theory but you know the internet remains still too anonymous as an entity for people to take responsibility for the way they interact with each other and video games are concurrent with that and maybe the worst place because there are very few adults in the room when people are playing video games, you know? That's just a fact.
1: Well, it has all the anonymity of the internet, but it's also by nature a competition. Correct. So People are encouraged to get one up on each other, or if you're blocking my play, I need to explain to you that you're an idiot, right? Uh, and then that is, I feel like, just the mirror of something the internet gave us, which is being, to throw, being able to throw rocks from behind a shield. We all have Mm -hmm. that now. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is why I don't play video games with randos ever. And uh, Adam and I have very different lives.
2: (laughs) I don't do it much. I mean, like, cause it does qualitatively reduce your, like you're not having as much fun when you're paired up with some guy who's an asshole, you know, or, or just some guy who like wants the experience not to be fun, but to be efficient. That's another weird syndrome is like people who play video games and treat them like they're, you know, Yeah, that's capitalism, like the speed runs, you know, that
0: is the ultimate artifact of capitalism that you finish Mario in three and a half minutes, you broke the game. I mean, I guess I understand it like it's a challenge. And and so it's not totally capitalism. There is a real accomplishment to break a game. But it's also like hyper efficiency is definitely related to it. I wanted to. Sorry, Michael, please.
1: Well, there, There's games that literally have marketplaces like Diablo famously has a whole yep. robust marketplace where you can trade items that you found. And people who don't know the game, the items are administered to you somewhat randomly. As you kill monsters, you will pick up randomly generated items with different stats. Uh, Destiny 2 does this. And mm. if you get what's called a good drop or an epic drop it means by random chance you achieved something very special and that gives you power in the marketplace. So capitalism has been fully subsumed and mimicked within these games uh, and sometimes to disastrous effect. The Diablo (laughs) marketplace has crashed several times.
2: Yeah. They don't have the regulation of customer service though. Right. So like when you're trying to like trade an item with somebody else, right? Like you'll get, who knows who the person on the other end is, but they're probably a monster. You know what I mean? Because they're gonna they're gonna say or like, how could you have this point five? That's the worst drop ever. It's trash, bro. That's the interaction you have because customer service is a thing that exists because you have to have accountability in real life, and it doesn't or, exist in or you used games.
0: to. Now the customer yeah. service has been Correct. totally deregulated. I mean, and then you see these things begin to mirror each other, where customer service in real life becomes this shitty AI bot that you spend nine hours on the phone with, and it kind of mirrors the video game experience. One thing I did want to talk about a little bit more is Red Denver Redemption 2, particularly because this is, was such a gigantic game. Maybe one of you guys could just explain what it is. And Adam, we were talking off mic. You said something yeah. about murder for murder's sake. And I was wondering if we could dig into yeah. that. And also if you have any thoughts about how the G- game portrays westward expansion, yeah, um, yeah. which is obviously sort of the, the, the final moment of colonialism. I mean, obviously colonialism continues day to day, but the of formal colonialism, now we've kicked out all the indigenous people and ethnically cleanse them. And I'm just curious. I've never played the game because I I didn't have the time, frankly, to put into it. But I'd love to hear what it says about it and um, what that says about
2: ideology. Yeah. I'll take this one, Mike, if that's all right. Sure. Red Dead Redemption 2 is a game in which you play one member of a gang of outlaws who are essentially always on the run trying to find a way to survive in a world that is increasingly modern enough that you can't keep getting away with it um and in that capacity you know you're you're sort of you're playing under the leadership of a cult figure named dutch vanderlyn who is sort of promising like we just got to get a little money and then we'll finally escape to this to tahiti or some place where we can be ourselves and like live free and not have this you know nightmare of expansion crack down on us right and you know you murder Two, three hundred people, and but and I just to be clear, I love this game. I played it four times, but it does have its flaws, and one of those flaws is that uh, at the end of this game, you know, so this is maybe a spoiler warning for anybody who really wants to play it. Your character contracts tuberculosis, and in that, and like so, so you realize I'm going to die. It puts an actual death timeline on your character, and he decides I've been living wrong. I've been doing the wrong thing. And so he decides I got to start trying to write a lot of these wrongs I've created throughout the course of the game, which is an interesting moral problem. But to do that, there's really only one fundamental activity you can do in Red Dead 2, and that is murder. So you got to kill the right people this time to save uh, to save the lives of the Uh. ones who matter the most. And that's a tricky moral question. Uh, If you can set some of those ideas aside, it's actually profoundly told in some ways. Um, Mike, what do you? What do you think about the expansionism? I want to leave that one to you, sir. Well, they largely
1: don't mention it except as it affects these largely white outlaws. So I think yeah. that says a lot in and of itself. Um, yeah. It, as like most Western stories, it's about the death of the West. The West right. Western stories love to talk about just the twilight of the West being supplanted by modernity. And in this case, they use that as sort of a shadow colonialism, right? We're more concerned about now there's cars and telephone lines, so our beloved outlaws are going to get cracked down on. Their way of life no longer exists. Um, as I recall, there aren't many references to, hey, you know a way of life that no longer exists? All the Native peoples that we've genocided. Uh, they bring, them in, touched
2: touched on yeah, they bring them in one chapter. Yeah, there's one chapter that touches
1: on it, almost like a tipping your cap to the Atlantic slave trade or something and, and like Well, it's that. such
0: an obvious metaphor, right? If you're talking about the death of the West, you're literally in a space where your people eradicated another culture. You would think that that would be something drawn upon. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think the game designers were terrified of doing that wrong. And so what they chose to do is they chose to bring in this one character who's very much a Chief Joseph analog and his son who wants to fight back right when the gang is finally crumbling and your character's about to die, that's sort of where the parallel gets drawn and they, you know, you play a few missions and you know, that story is told you murder some Um, people. (laughs) Yeah. You kill some people, uh, you, you know, and, and there are consequences that you, that you have unintentionally on the tribe. Um, and that I think was, you know, somewhat well drawn, but yeah, they didn't want to get into it too much. Um, because I think they didn't want you to have to think too hard about what you're doing, you know? Do you think they were possibly afraid of getting
0: criticized by for not doing it well or is the video game community not
2: doesn't that's not the tactic they would take? I think they were 100% afraid of that. So like Rockstar makes Grand Theft Auto. Um Grand Theft Auto for those of you who don't know this uh is easily one of the most popular franchises and is the the quintessential vice playground game where you know I mean, you play that's a criminal. capitalism all the way yeah. down, yeah. You you play a criminal uh, you're trying to make it in the big city by doing crimes. You know what I mean? Like and it's it's uh, comically you know, cynical. It's yeah, like, it's hey, cynical. let's
1: have fun. We're the bad guys.
2: Right. So Red Dead was the was it, it first was like, let's do this GTA, but in the old west. But the problem is that the story was good was good enough. They were like, oh, we gotta do a better job. So Red Dead 2, they're trying to sort of do both things. Where they're telling this sort of I'm gonna put this in quote, poignant, and I actually think there is a lot of poignancy to it, poignant story of regret. Uh, and do justice to the actual times to some degree, but also still let you murder everybody. So you know, yeah, they were afraid. I think it they always rings a little afraid. hollow.
1: Like GTA Four, for example, the main character famously runs around killing people, but saying things like, "Oh, the city and what it makes me do." The city, oh why,
2: why? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but as yeah, yeah, you're yeah, yeah.
1: mowing down row after row of enemies, because ultimately yeah. a video game has to be a toy, and if the toy is a shooting toy all I'm going to hand you is a hammer, right? That's, that's how it's going to be. So any kind of story is viewed through that lens.
0: Here's a stupid question, but this was something that I was thinking of. <laughs> what a way to begin. Uh, something I was thinking of when I was writing the Call of Duty article. Uh, I'm just going to use a dumb example, bad pitch, but it's, could there be a game where instead of shooting, you give people flowers and turn them into peaceful people? Uh, how come there isn't stuff like that, yeah, right? Like there, obviously, yeah.
1: There's an indie game called The Valley where you use a life gun and shooting stuff brings dead stuff back to life. Nobody played it. That's the problem. Of course. Um,
0: Right. And then the question is, why is that culture? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
1: exactly. I I do think it's a cultural element and capitalistic element. The idea of getting bigger and more powerful is less palatable when you're in a service role. Basically, the valley wonders, what if you were a servant of life and you were going around just doing what you need to do to revitalize a dead earth? Uh, I know there's. Oh, and there was recently like a Sim City knockoff where you take polluted environments and upgrade them and depollute them and get yeah. them back to a state of it's- nature. So these games exist. They almost always tend to be indie experiments and not the norm. Or building simulators.
2: Stuff right. that's like, I'm going to build a city. I'm going to build a healthy town. I'm going to build a healthy community like The Sims or something. Animal Crossing. Yeah, here's a question in those city
0: building games. Can you build a socialist utopia or you always have like, could you tax the rich or do you just increase taxes? That's a general question because one could imagine that would actually be pretty interesting. You could create like different sorts of social forms and you could like compete communist utopia versus capitalist
2: hellscape. I was playing a game. It was it's a SimCity knockoff. It's like a recent one for not recent, but that where you could set taxes on zones but they weren't class based. They were like residents or commercial or, uh, industrial. So no, they're, they they don't they don't want you to get too political like ostensibly in your choices, right? Except that you always support the military. Here's right, right, one right.
0: question: So has there been games about class warfare? I know in Bioshock Three, it's like there was that class warfare element, but then they were just as bad. The working class was like just as bad as like the capitalists. But have I mean, it seems like class warfare would be an obvious space, but then is this just, just like kind of like Hollywood where none of the big studios are going to put in money that ultimately criticize themselves? I'm just curious if there's been something like that.
1: The closest thing that comes to mind for me is a game called Red Faction, which is basically a mm. communist collective on Mars starts fighting back against the elites. So it has been done. But again, it's done as window dressing. It's just who's the bad guy, who's the good guy in this. And it just happens to be that the bad guys, are elites and the good guys are a communist rogue squadron, which is you know, maybe you like that. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's enough representation. Representation is good. Um, But in that game, your main way to interact with the world is still through the barrel of a gun. And I think that affects everything and permeates all of these games.
2: It's funny. Actually, the more I think about it, the more the most class conscious game I can think of is Grand Theft Auto. Like Grand Theft Auto in general as a franchise is more it draws more connections to class distinctions than almost any other game I can think of because you almost always start at least one of your protagonist characters is a person who is disadvantaged, you know, whether you're an immigrant or whether you're, you know, uh, in an urban neighborhood or whatever it is. And then you're working your way up to the successful life, right? It's the crime Horatio Alger story. Um, Yeah, but the rest of them, it's like usually done in this kind of like, again, a sort of fantasy way where it's like, you know, maybe you're a pauper who, like, you know, rises to be a prince, but that's as detailed as it gets.
1: And big games cost just as much to make as they make money. So I think there is a strong disincentive to taking any kind of political stance. And so most creative forces behind bigger games tend to take the strategy of, yeah, we're not really going to weigh in on that. That seems to be the consensus because this game is for everyone and we want it to be accessible to anyone who wants to pick it up and play and we don't want them to be feeling bad about themselves because of it. Uh, a big exa- a big exception is a game I wanted to bring up called Spec Ops The Line, which mm. was famous for turning this on its head and in that game, spoilers for Spec Ops The Line and uh, Heart of Darkness on which it's based. You fight your way through you know, thousands of Middle Eastern terrorists that you mow down to get to a colonel who you need to save. And then it turns out he's gone completely insane. And in the end, all you really did was compete. All you really did was make yourself complicit in some war crimes involving white phosphorus. So by completing the game, you learn that you are the bad guy. Uh, And that was a huge departure at the time. It, that game is still talked about as being wildly creative for that fact. Now, did that change hearts and minds? I don't know. I like well, to it's think that small-c conservative.
0: You know, I mean this is this yeah. is my critique. That's a conservative critique. The conservative critique all when you is small-c not like Republican. It's just like things can't change. You could, you know, try to do well, but you'll be fucked and then at the end you're just fucked. It's not about making like ending the empire. Now, That is such a wild, Michael and I love to hear what you think about it. Is that just not imaginable in our imperialist capitalist culture in a way that like no one will play it? Because it it reminds me, Michael, that 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 plot reminds me a lot of Black Ops Cold War, which is at the end you're just fucked and there's just no way to change things. So you're just fucked. And that's that.
1: But you can survive and good for you. You lived another day. Um, Trying to think there's a game called Papers, Please. That's uh, yeah. was entirely designed by one man. Very good game uh, where you are a checkpoint agent just processing people's papers as they cross into sort of a satellite, uh, you know, USSR breakaway state. And by the end of that, by making the proper paperwork choices, you can dismantle the government, overthrow the government. Um, that's the one that comes to mind for me. And that one is quite a fun game. But it really takes a genius to gamify something like doing paperwork and make it fun. And uh, I, his name escapes me. He also did Return of the Obra Din, But this guy is a genius and is one of the luminaries in indie gaming right now. And he's able to make something like that interesting. I would love to see, because I do believe anything can be gamified in a spectacular fashion. But I would love to see, and I have not seen, cannot think of, a game where... For example, the main goal is to redistribute wealth equitably or, uh, you know, make healthcare more widely available for the people that you're serving and see how it impacts the culture. Uh, That's just not done. Not that it can't be done, but our priorities are very far from that.
2: It's in life simulators and stuff like, you know, like that kind of stuff is in SimCity or whatever, but really it's not the goal. It's just, uh, it's like a... a hurdle you have to get over to make your city big, so and you can get better. bigger. It, the right. goal
1: is still just to get the biggest Correct. city. It doesn't matter Correct. what kind it is.
0: Yeah, you could imagine a game, a SimCity type game, based on that recent David Graeber Wengrow book, which was about how like cities at some point chose not to grow, and that actually led to like a system of social stability where they were able to last hundreds of years and actually increase life quality um, for everyone. It's just so so outside everything we drink in ideologically in every moment of our lives
2: i'm betting that there probably are a, a lot of indie games that are trying this but we're just not hearing about them uh like so i don't want to say they don't exist they are definitely not they're definitely not uh in the triple a video game space at all like i can't think of one most games that don't directly try to tell a capitalist narrative um, are trying to be a toy, from what I can tell, or trying to be uh, a traditional like Dungeons and Dragons hero's journey narrative, and that's kind of those are the camps. It feels like,
1: yeah, yeah, guys. So I, I mean, you talk, we've we've gotten down the road to this uh, quite a bit in this conversation, but I think uh, maybe given the themes of this show, we could sort of close with a a, a bigger discussion about the connections between the gaming industry and the military-industrial complex, you know, the ways in which um, not just in the sense of kind of dehumanizing people to kill a certain type of person, as you uh, mentioned earlier, but the ways that the the military uh, in particular has embraced
2: or uh, kind of reacted to the development of games and and the connections that have been built up. So it's a pretty well-known fact that, Call of Duty develops their games alongside the military for at the at least ostensibly to make sure that the equipment that they're referencing, the guns they're choosing, the imagery they're using, the military technology that they're uh, showing is uh, accurate and also approved, which you is know, the
1: same justification that movie studios use. Right. Yeah. But we know it goes beyond that.
2: Yeah. Right. Of course. Um I can't, I mean, you know, once you get something as, uh, as powerful as a force, as the military involved in your development, you have to believe they're, they're going to say like, listen, we're not going to let you use our, our, uh, any of the contracts for our military equipment. If you depict us having, you know, assassinated this ruler in such and such space. Right. Like, um, you know, you, these are stories you hear all the time. I'm sure that that at the very least there's a censoring piece of it that's happening that you probably don't think about and that we may never know the full extent of. Uh, Mike, what else jumps to mind for you? Full Spectrum
1: Warrior comes to mind for me. Uh, That was a game that didn't do too well, but it was lauded at the time for its realism, which is funny because it still has the thing like if you get shot, you can just put a bandage on and now you're alive again. Um, But it was explicitly made with the cooperation of the army as a recruitment tool. So... I think it is known at this point that the military would love to use video games as recruitment tools and thinks that they work as that. Uh, I don't think they'd be committing so much of their time and effort and money to projects like this if they weren't seeing something out of the other side of that. Like if when it was, I was just a, to make the games accurate, I don't imagine they'd care about that.
2: When I was a kid, I remember you seeing Marine like the advertisements for the Marines. Like That's a thing that Marines have always done, right? TV ads. Yeah. And they were always uh, some version of like, look at the guy in the suit, look how put together and noble he is. Now those ads, and I've seen them a few times, are always video games. video games. They're video they're games. Always ads. video yeah. games. Like they usually, it's like you'll see this like knight-like figure, or you know, even sometimes a soldier-like figure navigating like an obstacle course, like it's Starship Troopers. And then like the the CGI piece will fall away, and oh, it was a marine the whole time, you know. Uh, so like they clearly know that it works. And you get this, this
0: really interesting thing where the aesthetics begin to shape different forms, that the aesthetics of video games have so shaped movies and television and commercials and everything that we've done and, and, and vice versa. So we're in a, a really interesting moment for, uh, for that. So guys, before we go, I just wanted to know, do you have any closing thoughts,
2: anything you want to leave our audience with? And so like, I'm just going to assume that a lot of you will probably end up watching stuff. Uh, that is video game based you know like from probably a lot of you are watching or did watch last of us and i think one one choice that the film made or the television show excuse me made that uh is very different from the video game and maybe the meaning of it actually matters is they took almost all the killing out of last of us the television show um, it's a great story by the way but 99 percent of the killing that you do in last of us is out of uh, because the, f- the filmmakers believed it would make the characters unlikable if they had them do as much killing as you do in the video game. Now, some of that is a function of how do you fill a se- a 10, 15, 20 hour video game if it's not killing? That's the question, right? It's puzzles and murder. Like those are the things you do. But I think um, it's interesting that we still need We need more from our characters in film and television in terms of likability, in terms of moral likability than we do from video games. And I think that says something.
1: I think it says that when you are playing the character, you cut yourself slack because you are Mm -hmm. you like, of course, I don't hate myself. I'm doing all the killing. That's okay because I'm me. I'm the hero. I'm sitting down and choosing to do this for fun with my game time. Uh, And I think there's a danger of sort of a feedback loop now that we do have so many shows and movies being based on video games that some of those flaws that we've been exploring could get baked in. Uh, Like I'm wary of, let's say they made a Call of Duty show. I'd be very wary of the themes it's exploring because I think the games are already suspect and TV, the new style of TV adaptation tends to be pretty Faithful, and you stand behind that as your excuse. You say, Well, we're just being faithful to the source material. Okay, well, as we've just discussed, the source material was made in conjunction with the US military for specific purposes. So perhaps just being faithful to that through line is not the fully responsible way to tell this story. Uh, In a way, I'm wary to put our storytelling in the hands of interactive storytellers because interactive storytelling is fundamentally different than the passive act of watching a movie and judging all the characters who are outside yourself. Interactive storytelling is throwing you into the thick of it and you are making the decisions for the character and you are justifying those decisions in your own mind. And uh, the,
2: great, I, the great designers know how to make you realize the consequences of your choices your choices in a way that, that movies and television can't do.
1: Right. Ludo narrative is the word meaning Uh, something. It's like the thing that's unique to video games, a storytelling beat that can only exist through a function of interactivity. And because movies and shows lack that capacity, I think you will also find that some of the greater ways that responsible video games have used to show those consequences and made you feel those consequences don't necessarily translate. And something is lost even more and it becomes an even more boiled down version of, you know, if they make a Call of Duty show, I think it will mostly focus on your rogue squadron of heroes journeys and killing lots and lots of guys in cool fashion. Um, Yeah, and that just perturbs me.
0: Michael Swayman, Adam Ganser, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone check out One Upsmanship, and beyond that, really do check out Small Beans. It's a great podcast network, the exact type of indie podcast networks that people should be listening to, and guys, we'd love to have you back again when uh, some AAA horrible, you know, evil game comes out. I hope you'll uh, think about joining us. <laughs> we'll sure. definitely
2: play it, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and that's American Prestige,
0: the video game, that's the one that's going <laughs> to... Yeah, uh, we did yeah, do yeah, a podcasting video game. That's actually... Not a bad idea. Some indie producer should do a podcasting video game, create a successful podcast. <laughs> True up
1: crime. is the tutorial <laughs> level. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> I just want to, I got to say one-upsmanship is spelled with the number one, not ON. Yes, thank
0: you. Yeah. Yes. Number one upsmanship, like one-up in a video game. All right, guys. That's we'll right. see you soon.
2: All right. Take care.